Hi, we're Phil and Jen, and this is season four. We're calling it This New Space, and this is episode five. And this one is called We Are All Heretics, <laughs> which just makes me laugh for some reason. I like it. Um, so in the first season, we did something where I did one of the episodes, and then Phil just kind of like sat on the floor and took notes and then asked me a bunch of questions. And we've been meaning to do that kind of the other way around, and we haven't gotten to it yet. So we decided this time, Phil has been kicking around this idea, this idea that we are all heretics and thinking about it and kind of preparing this for a while. And so I thought, let him just, I'm just going to let him go and I'm going to sit here, I'm going to take notes and then we'll ask him some questions at the end. So that's what we're going to do today. But before we do that, what do we have going on? We got some fun stuff going on this summer. I'm really excited about it. Uh, we're doing a meetup. We're actually doing summer meetups. And uh, you would say, what is a meetup? Well, that's a great question. A meetup is a safe space for those with expanding faith to connect, to process, and keep growing in order to live meaningful lives and create a more loving world. And so the reality is we're all on a spiritual journey. And as we experience more, when you have questions and doubts or feel weary, even disillusioned with the status quo, often sure of what they don't want, but still figuring out what they do want. Some people even feel like spiritual nomads, like they don't really belong anywhere. They desire to embody Christ in their everyday lives, and they're finding that it's bigger and more inclusive than they thought possible. And so as we evolve in our lives and our faith, we can get stuck, we can grow into unknown places, we can desire to take a next step, but often aren't sure what it could be. And we need safe spaces to connect with other people on a similar journey, to ask questions, to share our doubts and thoughts without judgment and process our faith lives and set down the heaviness of the world for a moment and have some fun. And that is our passion. We're excited to do that this summer to provide that space. We got a couple of meetups where everyone's welcome wherever you're at. And they will be tacos and margaritas because, I mean, obviously, there should always be tacos <laughs> and margaritas. It makes it way more fun. That's the primary food staple, um, that combination. And so it's going to be Saturday, June 25th from 7 to 9 p.m. And also Saturday, July 30th from 7 to 9 p.m. And it's going to be in Costa Mesa. And if you're within driving distance of Costa Mesa and would love to join us, um, it's a free event. It's for everybody. You can go to our website, philandjinwood.com, and you can RSVP there, and we'll send you the address as uh, well as find out how many tacos you want. So check it out. It's happening, and obviously we're pumped. In addition to that, we are also doing some Raising Humans meetups, which you might ask, what is that? It's for you and for your kids. And we are hoping that you'll bring your kids along ages 10 through 18. It's Saturday, July 9th, 9 to 10.30 a.m. And then August 6th, 9 to 10.30 a.m. as well. And what it is, is we are just hoping to provide a space to engage together with our kids in intentional, meaningful conversation, some really fun, exploratory kind of experiences, oh, yeah. even maybe some, some adventure, adventure you might say. Some risks, some conversation. Yep. And the goal is how are we raising wholehearted, spiritually connected humans? And the idea is that we will kind of lead you in leading your kids. 
in this space. So coming alongside you in that, again, that that is free. Um, spots are going to be limited for that, and you can RSVP to that as well on the website, philandjenwood.com. We are so excited about this. All right. And now for episode six, we are all heretics. Okay, so we're calling this episode, like Jen said, we are all heretics, which I know sounds kind of ridiculous, but it's true, and I'll explain why. Uh, I want to talk about this idea of heresy in about the nature of being a heretic because it's it's like such a dirty word. It really is. Like when you use that word, you don't you don't just smile and think, hmm, that's a good heretic. Or like, mm, man, my uncle, what a heretic. I love that guy. Like it doesn't work like that. Or oh, that heretical friend. They're just so fun. Like it 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 actually is like a dirty word. And I bring it up because there's a particular kind of energy that comes when you grow, when you expand in your faith, when your worldview expands, when something fails you and you step into something else, when you expand in your faith and your spirituality. Um, because essentially when you're expanding, you're oftentimes departing from like a current majority opinion of where you came from. Now, it's possible to expand with a group, as a group, in a group way, and you're not experiencing that same sort of reality. But oftentimes, what happens when you expand is if you expand at a different rate than those that are around you, or at a different pace than those that are around you, or just different timing, or if there's a particular kind of center of gravity to a group of friends or a community or an institution, and you expand in ways that are different than that particular center of gravity of that particular place, you get that feeling that I'm talking about, that energy that comes up. And it almost is like a fear. And, and, and some of this idea came out of us talking about a few episodes ago, When Your Faith Expands. And we were talking about fear, and I actually did a whole rant on this during the episode. And we decided not to do that and to save it for today. And so it can be like a fear or like sometimes you can feel like you're bad. I know Jen and I have like talked about that conversation. Like, oh, is it bad? Which is an interesting question to even ask. Or is it wrong? Or like, what about the tribe? Or like, I feel kind of weird around people or I feel almost suspect. I feel like people give me the hairy eyeball. That's what the boys say. I feel like they're giving you the hairy eyeball there. Um, that is a particular energy. And there's a reason for that. And that's what I want to talk about is if you've experienced that or are currently experiencing that or one day you will experience that, because that's all of us. I want to talk about the reason for that, because I've done a lot of processing about this. And one, there's just a really baseline thing going on. It's like your evolutionary brain survival response. So if you think about humans being 200,000 years old on the earth, there's a long kind of older brain evolutionary development and response this like developed in a particularly tribal way where we're wired to belong and to be part of the tribe as a survival mechanism. Because if you live at a time of hunters and gatherers of survival, you cannot survive on your own. You need the tribe to survive. And so you do not want to disrupt the tribe. You want to belong to the tribe. So anytime you feel that you're in a different place or you're on the outs or you're suspect or you're disrupting, then what it can do is it can like trigger that evolutionary kind of survival 
response. You're fighting ancient conditionings. And, and that's something to recognize and to breathe through and be like, I'm okay. I'm okay. It's okay, and I'm okay. Um, turns out I live in a different universe at this time than when that developed. Um, okay. But there's another layer to it. There's more. Because it isn't just an evolutionary brain development conditioning. There's actually like a, a particular tribal conditioning, especially within the Christian tradition. And that is like something else entirely. I'll give some examples. So I remember when I was young, I mean, I'm still young. Wow. <laughs> She's laughed at me. These grays are... They're like young grays. Um, so I remember I was a younger minister. I was a youth pastor. And I remember I was doing, I was a man of the cloth. And I was preparing uh, one of my like first sermons. It was like the first year I was giving sermons at a church that I was a part of. And there was a mentor, a friend of mine, um, who was teaching me how to teach and how to preach and how to how to do it. And I remember there was a particular passage that they gave me I was supposed to preach on, and it was like complicated. It was Old Testament. I think there was some kind of like genocide involved in it. And it, it is like, I'm now I'm going to give a sermon on this. And I was like, what in the, why am I, what about the other passage where Jesus is helping people? Like I get the genocide thing. And then I was processing it and I was like, well, hey, what if I did it like this? And I gave a, a different alternate sort of explanation for how we could understand this passage that I didn't make up, that I'd actually wrestled through in seminary and that I'd read about and I'd been processing for a while. And this particular mentor looks at me and he says, would you really say that? Like you just did, like on the microphone to the church? I think I would, actually, yes. Yeah, I, I like this. And he saw, if you were to say that, I would stand up in the front row of church and I would publicly declare you a heretic in front of everyone and condemn you. I want you to know that. And it was such a shocker. I was like, whoa, that's why that? Why did you go all the way to dirty heretic? Like, why would you publicly condemn? We can just talk about it. Like, why don't we have a talk right now? And it was, it was this weird threat. But then we both kind of laughed. But then I was like, hey, so which heresy am I um, guilty of with that one? Because all the... The heresies have names and histories. So like, which one was it? And he's like, ah. I was like, oh, is it the, the heresy of your opinion? Is that the one? Because that, that's just a difference of opinion. And it was this interesting experience early on of like, oh, that's not safe. That's not safe to, to push into other spaces that are different than the majority opinion, or at least the authority opinion of wherever you are. That was weird. But then I found that's like a really common thing. It's why I bring it up. There's an energy. There's a, such a weird energy. And you see it now with the way social media and the internet, like you can lob that kind of energy in a very hateful way very quickly with no sort of um, consequences for your actions. And we can attack each other in wildly hurtful, profound ways. And, and it's this strange like, conditioning. It's this strange conditioning that can create a sense of fear or awkwardness or just like maybe for you it's just like a like a weird energy in your gut is the way that I feel it. Kind of like like lower ribs, middle ribs, just sort of circles right there above my stomach. 
um, which is such a fast, so it's like heretic, it's so bad, you're different, you're dangerous, you're not us, you're other, you're bad. But here's the reality, there's actually a history to that word, which I think is worth sharing briefly. And yes, I feel that we need to go back to Rome if we are going to discuss this. So in the beginning, there's like a pre-institutional movement of Christianity. Like there was Jesus and there was the death and the resurrection and the spirit and the movement that was hundreds of years with no set defined, largely agreed upon set of doctrines or hierarchical structure or even like what holy letters are part of this and what are not part of it. It was a, a loosely connected network of people fully embodying a lived wisdom of a resurrection movement. And they had all these letters and these, these leaders and these, these communities of people that were giving themselves for the healing of the world. And it was this like really beautiful thing. And, and in fact, you have Jesus like defining it essentially that way. He said, I give you the power to bind and to loose. And he says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, which is a Jewish idiom for the power of interpretation. I give you the power as he's taking himself, if you look through his own teachings, to interpret the scriptures, the spirit, the movement of God, and to live it out. In fact, there's times where he's like, says to the religious leaders all kinds of wild things, saying they're missing the very movement of God, even as they're searching the scriptures for it. He's like, you have the power to interpret. He says, I give you authority. I'm giving you my spirit. He says, you're going to do everything I've done and greater things. I'm sending you out into the world to, to, to like a lived wisdom embodiment movement of resurrection life, right? And there's just, it's like a beautiful, I'm literally giving you the authority to choose and to shape the world into a more loving world based on the self-giving love of God, based on the spirit. It's an embodiment movement. And in fact, the word heresy, its original definition was like from the old Greek, was able to choose. That is all. There's no energy around that. It's like, I like vanilla and I like chocolate. Some of us like to swirl, right? So, I mean, <laughs> but like, I mean, like, imagine stripping it all the way down, able to choose, which is what Jesus did, and which is what Jesus was empowering people to do. Hundreds of years this way, the movement was able to choose. There's different opinions on how to interpret and how to live out the movement. There's different schools of thought, different communities all bound together. There was an early um, church father who first used the word heresy, and now I'm looking for it because I don't have it right in front of me. There's an early church father who defined, I'm sorry, didn't define heresy, but I believe it was Irenaeus, actually. Um, and I've got it, in the second century, and he, he noted and gave a warning about the complications of everyone being able to choose and have their own opinions of how they're going to embody and live the thing out. And he's like, hey, just heads up. It gets getting complicated. There's a lot of us now. That was it. That was, that was how the word was used. It didn't come with the extra kinds of baggage 
there, there wasn't that same kind of energy to it. Now, where things shifted, where things changed, was when the movement became imperialized or when the movement became institutionalized. And so Emperor Constantine of the Roman Empire had a vision. I'm greatly reducing this, summarizing. Had a vision of a cross or of Jesus in some sort before battle. He won the battle. He's like, this guy kicks serious booty. I'm, this is the one. My own summary. Um, converts, becomes a Christian eventually, transitions the entire Roman Empire into uh, Christianity, makes it an imperial religion. So imagine going from an illegal religion to like the powerhouse, the center, the like going from being persecuted for your faith to now being um, given great rewards and benefits for your faith, that you're in the center, that you actually now have power and privilege and prestige because of the thing that perhaps your friends or your parents' generation died over. And then what's, what's fascinating is that in that shift, there was an old way in which the empire worked that the, the emperor himself was considered a god or son of a god, divine. And they had an emperor worship cult that existed all around the Roman Empire, all over the entire world. And it was, you, you have to use religion to help bind the empire together to control and to manage it. And it's all like interwound and connected. And so in the, the days of when it was illegal to be a Christian, they called Christians atheists because the Christians wouldn't worship the emperor as some god. And therefore, if you didn't worship the emperor, you weren't allowed to participate in civic life. And you, you actually were excluded from so many things. But once that was gone, now that there's Christianity, that's the imperial religion, it leaves an interesting problem. How do we now, especially a religion in its infancy that, that is diverse, and that is free, that is a movement. Like, how do you bring that together? And then how do you um, lock some stuff down so that you can continue to control the empire? So you can continue to manage this imperial thing that exists in the world that is in many, many, many ways greatly at odds. I mean, Jesus and the scripture are a critique of empire. It's what the thing is. And now it's like, well, how do we take this puppy and we make it the imperial religion. It's fascinating. It's like talking to anybody now in America. It's like these competing ideas of what the thing is, right? I mean, it's been going on for a very, very long time. Talk about conditioning. And so what was fascinating is Constantine called together the first ecumenical council, the first worldwide council where they invited all the, the major leaders of the churches from all over the world. And few hundred showed up, and they had a goal, and the goal at this council was um, to essentially figure out how we centralize it and how we um, create a consistency and a uniformity, and therefore like a set of rules and, and like boundaries to this, this movement so that we can use it for control and power. And so they said Constantine himself presided over the council wearing what I would call a golden angel suit. Um, so from the words of someone who was actually there, Eusebius described Constantine himself proceeded through the midst of the assembly like some heavenly messenger of God clothed in raiment, which glittered as if um, it were with rays of light, reflecting the glowing radiance of a purple robe and adorned with the brilliant splendor of gold and precious 
stones. The emperor was present as an overseer and presider of this council, inviting everyone together to make a bunch of decisions and to make some votes in a golden angel suit with great influence. Okay, guys, it's time. It's time to decide a bunch of things. We're going to nail down our doctrines and decide together the essence of who Jesus is and was. We're going to nail down the date of Easter. We're going to nail down the organizational structure of church and how it works. I'm sorry, I don't know if you missed the one before that. We're going to nail down the date of Easter. And also, we're going to create some dignity standards for our clergy. So if you're going to be in an imperial clergy, there's some, there's some rules here with the ins and outs. And also, we're going to um, begin to make some decisions around the Bible canon, what is in and what's out in terms of books of the Bible. And the big debate was around the essence of who Jesus is. And there's some like vested interest here with an emperor because, think about it, he went from being a god or a son of a god himself as this divine ruler to now just being a dude in a golden angel suit. And, and, and so there's this kind of influence over the nature of Jesus that also impacts politics and how the, the imperial politics play out. And the argument was, is in his most basic form, is Jesus um, of the same essence of God or is Jesus essentially of some like lesser essence? Is Jesus like co-eternal or um, uh, same substance as God the Father or is Jesus somehow created in of like a little lesser degree? Is the God sort of different? That ongoing debate, hundreds of years. In the end, the decision was, was made, same essence, that's the Nicene Creed and where it came from, and then all these other decisions were made, and then something shifted, and they said, here's the deal. You now have to sign these doctrines and these statements if you want to be in, and if you don't, then you're out. And three people, Arius and two of his, his followers, said, we can't sign that with a good conscience. So they said, fine, you're now excommunicated from the church, you are now kicked out of the fellowship of believers, and you are simultaneously exiled from the Roman Empire. You now must leave the entire empire. And they were, and they were banished. And what was fascinating is these church leaders made this interesting decision, a heretical decision, because it was a decision they got to choose what they wanted to do. Would they join in this imperial movement and give up a lot in order to gain a lot of power? Or would they choose to hold on to their own conscience and let the movement continue to be one that transformed the world in like a self-giving love and resurrection power, or one that would join and essentially bolster, you know, imperial violence and whatever else is going on in an imperial regime in the world? And, and, and they chose what they chose, and then it's in and it's out, and it's excommunication and it's exile, which is a really wild shift. So heresy became something else. It became from moving from like able to choose to a person believing in or practicing a religious heresy is what the word came to be known. In other words, a person with opinions that are at odds with the majority. So you use a word like orthodoxy. That's like right belief or like majority belief. So if you're unorthodox, you're just different. You're different than the majority. You're, you have a different opinion. You're choosing a different opinion, but now it carries a different weight because it comes with excommunication and exile. And from there, it moved very, very, very quickly. So you go from Irenaeus in the second century noting, hey, there's some difference of opinion here. People are choosing. To Constantine in the early 300s 
making heresy a crime and pulling the church together into an imperial religion. Then in, in 380, you see um, the emperor at the time, um, gosh, I'm going to botch this name, Theodosius I, never mind, nailed it, um, saying that only Catholic Christians can define orthodoxy within the confines of the Roman Empire. And he was the first emperor to begin putting people to death who had a difference of opinion. Then you have Augustine, the great church leader and theologian in the early 400s who argued to defend the use of the compulsion for heretics. because they said, error has no rights. In other words, he was defending those who were attacking the heretics who had a difference of opinion from the majority opinion. Then you have Emperor um, Justinian in the early 520s who started creating really severe laws against heretics. And then you get all the way to Pope Pascal II around 1100 who said, anyone that disagrees with the Pope is a heretic. So it moved from like, we're trying to pull together an imperial thing so we can manage this empire to anyone that disagrees with the opinion of the Pope is now a heretic. Think about that. Sounds familiar. If you were to say that, I would stand up on the stage and I would condemn you as a heretic because you have now offended my opinion. Think about it. But that came from somewhere. They didn't just make that up. That's been going on for 900 years. That's a conditioning. That person is just the result of 900 years of religious conditioning. Then 100 years later in 1200, you have Pope Innocent III who said, all heresy is high treason against God and all heretics should be executed. Now that's a shift. That is a gnarly shift, which then sets the stage for all kinds of things. That, that movement of thought sets the stage for the Crusades. It sets the stage and lays the groundwork for the 11th and 12th century burnings at the stake and the, the Spanish Inquisitions that, that ends up carrying on into the Reformation era and the witch hunts and all the burnings at the stake that we've heard about in Christian history and tradition. It's like terrifying. Pope Gregory IX in 1229 declared it the duty of every Catholic to persecute all heretics. Which is, I mean... So think about how quickly that escalates from this movement and this call of Jesus to embody and to live out and to choose to this imperialization, which then quickly moves to crime, which then moves to exile, which then moves to excommunication, which then moves to ability to kill, which then moves further and further and further into severe laws, into persecution, into, if you go against my opinion, High heresy means our, 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 like a high treason against God calling for execution, and it's every single Christian's duty to persecute heretics. And it went even further a few hundred years later in the 16th century with the Great Reformation when amongst a lot of things that were challenged and changed were the removal of the authority of the Pope as like infallibility equal to like authoritative sort of scripture, word of God, as well as claiming a bunch of solas, which are the onlys, like in Latin. So like the main one is a sola scriptura, only the scripture, not the authority of the Pope's statements and decrees and opinions. And what's fascinating is with that great shift, a lot changed. So now everyone's claiming the sola scriptura only the scripture, but the scripture needs an interpreter. So whoever is the one that claims to be the teacher 
who claims to have the right opinion of interpretation now suddenly operates with that same authority of the Pope in their own small sphere. Because when it comes to heresy as a difference of opinion, of interpretation, then everyone can define and divide, can exile and excommunicate, can pull away or push away. And you see what ended up happening is there's now, there's a debate, but according to the World Christian Encyclopedia, 33,000 Protestant denominations that have all pulled away from each other. Um, according to the Center for Global um, Christianity at Gordon-Conwell Seminary, there's 47,000. According to the um, ARDA, there's 35,496 independent non-denominational churches, each with their own different doctrine and understanding that are independent and pulled away from each other. So heresy, what is it? What happened here? What's going on now? So anyone that goes against our opinion, like how, how are we defining that? Is it like the four things from 500 years ago that everybody holds on to that were the most important thing? Or is it like the four things now that we chose because two of those would have killed each other? Are you for sure would have been killed for saying that a couple hundred years ago in certain towns and places? I mean, there's even a story of, of John Calvin himself who justified the burning at the stake of someone who held the belief of a different view of the Trinity of God, who held a different view that um, a believer's baptism. The, the man was burned at the stake in his town, and they purposely chose green wood so that it would take longer for him to die, and they strapped his heresies to his chest so that everyone would see what was going on. And you're just going, wow, that got evil really fast, really fast. This is wild. And, and that's the great irony even is a lot of the central opinions that are held now, if you look historically, are different. So before even the imperialization of Christianity, like you couldn't be part of the church if you were a soldier because of they took the call of Jesus and his nonviolence so seriously that they're like, how, how could you practice violence and be a Christian? But then a few hundred years later, it's like you had to be a soldier to be a Christian because we have to defend the empire. And, and like, think about how it just shifts and it changes and how politics and colonization and empire and nation states all get wound up together in really ironic, profound, scary, sad sorts of ways. It's like we all want the sola scriptura, only the scripture, but we also want the authority of the Pope for our opinion, right? Heresy is just anything that's not my current opinion. <laughs> And, and we don't burn people to stake anymore. We just burn them down with our words. And we burn them down with cancel culture. And we burn them down with excommunication and exile. And we burn them down on social media. Think about when um, Rob Bell wrote Love Wins. Before he even read it, John Piper, famous Reformed pastor at the time, tweeted, Farewell, Rob Bell. Hadn't read it. Didn't yet know what was in it but had an idea because it said love wins the fate of every person that ever lived. And it's obviously talking about heaven and hell, but it wasn't like, I disagree with that opinion, Robert. I stand of a different opinion in how we interpret these doctrines and scriptures. It was, I am excommunicating you from the empire. He, he took like an imperial position. Think about the gut instinct and how everyone's like, well, Rob's out. You see that? He just got excommunicated. And you're like, boy, are you like exile? Like, well, how's it? But that's how it's 1,700 years of conditioning. 
and lead. That's what leaders do. That's how the movement goes. There's a conditioning as a people, as a movement, as a tradition to define and divide, to make people the other, and then to persecute, to excommunicate and exile. The great schism of the church in 1100 was literally the East and the West church mutually exiling and excommunicating each other at the exact same time. Like, and there's still beef over that today. There, there's, a, there's a conditioning. And so when I say there's some energy when you grow and you change and you start to experience like, wait a minute, that doesn't line up for me. Or wait a minute, I got some questions about that. Or wait a minute, I don't think that's being lived out in the best way right now. Wait a minute, you can't bring those things together and then say that and then get all like that. Wait a minute. And all of a sudden you feel that fear like, oh, I'm out here. Oh, they may get me. They might. That's the conditioning because they have for 1,700 years. But in reality, the word heresy just simply means able to choose, which again is precisely what Jesus did, and it's what he called us to do. He was killed for his own blasphemies. The religious leaders handed him over. And in fact, the, the state, like the imperial Leader said he hadn't even done anything wrong. Like he didn't break any laws. This is like your own religious matter. Sort it out. And they're like, no, you got to do it. You got to do it. Like he was killed over his own ability to choose, his own what would have been heretical statements at the time as he described himself and God in this resurrection movement. And then he says, I give you authority. I give you the power to bind and loose. I give you the spirit. I give you the ability to interpret. I give you the ability to choose how you're going to embody the spirit movement for your day and your time and your world because you have a choice. You can embody this thing to make a more loving world or you can choose to interpret it all kinds of ways. And the reality is we all do choose. Historically, we've all chosen. That's the thing. We all choose. Some of us are just honest about it. We all choose. And so when that feeling comes up, as you're growing, as you're learning new things, as you're experiencing some energy from the whoever, just breathe a little bit. And understand you've been evolutionarily conditioned for 200,000 years to feel that survival instinct. That's okay. You're going to be okay. Breathe a little bit. You've been conditioned for 1,700 years in a particular religious tradition that says you cannot do that or we will respond. We all choose. And so I would say a couple things with that. One... Orthodoxy is like right belief, but the idea of orthopraxy is like right living. What does that look like when you're living it out in the world around you? How are you embodying that? One. Two, I would say, 
what kind of human are you becoming and what kind of world are you creating? Are you creating a more loving world that reflects the death and resurrection of Jesus? Are you creating a different kind of world that's not good, that reflects othering and hatred and anger and exclusion, violence? What kind of world are you creating? And what kind of human are you becoming in the midst of it? And three, I would say, you should live it out for a while. Often there's these new ideas, there's these new thoughts, there's this new growth, there's this new sort of change, and, and, and sometimes we can get loud and say things, or sometimes we can attack, or like come the counterattack, or sometimes we can um, begin to speak about things which we have yet to actually fully live into. We have a notion of an idea that we don't yet fully know, and you're just, you're, you're living it out. Now I say live it out, feel it, live it, test it, integrate it, let it become a lived, integrated wisdom, because that's what embodiment and incarnation is. And so it can be really scary. But the truth is we're all heretics. So breathe. Feel it. Let it pass. Let it pass through and keep going. There's been a lot of conditioning that you're learning to breathe through and to turn around and recognize that everybody is choosing. So those are my thoughts. We're all heretics. So what do you think? <laughs> that was really, um, it was powerful to hear you kind of go through the history of it. And I think firstly that I just feel like there's this, there's a need to kind of grieve it, our history, you know? Our tradition has some ugly history and um, yeah I think I was the one that originally when we were originally talking about like why does it feel so what's that energy yeah the, what is that energy why is it so strong like if I say this am I gonna be okay what are people gonna think I've like, always felt it yeah and but it, it was shaped into me from my youngest I mean my younger Youth pastor days. And then I think like somewhere along the way, I was telling you, I think it, I realized, oh, this has always been, I, w I was telling you, people were killed over their beliefs and saying the wrong, quote unquote, wrong thing or stepping outside of whatever those boundaries are of what is the, the quote unquote, right belief. And so of course we're all terrified. <laughs> and then I was even thinking about and I don't know anything about this, so I, I'm dying to actually re do like some research around this. But mm. that new research that that I keep hearing about, I don't know, I feel like it's like trendy right now, but the epigenics where mm. um, we almost like have stored history of like trauma and things from our ancestors. Like we inherit That's that in our DNA. That makes sense. I mean, and so I'm like- holds on to things. Yeah, and so in my mind, I'm like, even that, like- this is something that's been going on for, for how many, how long did you say? 1700 years. Yeah. And, and so our ancestors yeah. have experienced that kind of trauma again and again throughout like almost 2000 years. Like, oh yeah, that explains some energy there that we've probably got some stored up like trauma from, I mean, I'm speaking out of a place that I don't know any, honestly, I don't oh. know enough about to really be speaking into, but it makes sense. I was thinking about that when I was hearing about it for the first time. 
Um, yeah, I think my first impulse is like, I don't have questions. I just kind of want to grieve and sit in it for a second and go, oh man, like things went sour so fast, <laughs> which makes sense because we're human. You know, when you were talking about like how long that all took <laughs> going from the way of Jesus, nonviolence, self-giving love for the healing of the world, laying down our swords to like taking up, I mean, doing my Christian duty and whatever that means, I'll, and that ends up hurting the people around them sometimes. I don't know. Well, it's interesting the way that the movement continues to be nationalized. And I mean, it's, it's, it's like the great irony that the, the greatest critique of empire ever is used to defend empire and violence, the, like the, the nonviolent movement of God is used to defend violence. I mean, even like now and after the terrible shooting, the memes that go around are the oddest, like using Bible verses in God to <sighs> defend like guns, having assault rifles. And you're just like, that's so fascinating to, to be so locked up into a ideology that's so connected to empire and nation that that it, you end up like using it to defend the thing that it is most against it is to me that is so wild and grievous yeah i mean i i ha i know that so many of us are i'm i know i'm not alone i i feel so grieved still just thinking about these shootings and they just keep happening and how many lives are, are we going to have to lose until we like actually make some policies and change some things around here. And it, it makes me so sickened to know that, that our nationalistic kind of Christian mixed together worldview is part of that problem. You know, um, it's a driver. Yeah. I, well, it, well, it would make sense to me if it was just like, we really want these things. But just say like it is. And our nation is. We, we want feel our guns. Like our nation is the greatest nation, and I wanted to be able to have power and defend myself how I want. Okay. But then to couple that into. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like don't bring God into it. A Christian tradition. I mean, granted, it's been happening for so long that it. Yeah. It's actually not baffling. It's just the next iteration of it. It makes sense. Yeah. What else? Um, I thought it was fascinating that you said the word heresy actually changed when the movement became imperialized. Mm. And I thought that was fascinating that it went from this, like, like suddenly you're being rewarded for having this religion. Like before it was the mark, it was, you could die for following Christ. But then it became this thing where you are at the center. I would I don't think the definition of heresy changed. I think the energy around it changed in that council because it became Oh, uh, yeah. Like that's a better way to yeah. A crime to think different. Right. Before it was just there was no energy. We, it, oh, oh they think an, differently. From an observation to a crime. Yeah. Oh, we think different. Yeah. To well if you're gonna do that you can't be here. Yeah. Because we got a we got a thing to run here. 
Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't feel like I have a lot to, to ask you about or to, to converse about. Again, I just feel like this sense of, to me, it's just helpful to go, oh yeah, there's a reason that we feel so much energy around this. And it's not just because of the thousand, you know, almost 2000 years of history, you know, people literally being burned at the stake over their beliefs. Yeah. Difference of opinion or their beliefs not being like in or out or whatever. But even just, I mean, obviously we can just all look around and see, we do this in all kinds of ways and outside of religious circles, you know, just cancel culture, cancel culture culture that was always so hard for me to say um in a, general a you know mm-hmm. and um yeah i i think that there's an invitation here to learn how to engage with each other in a different way where we actually listen to one another and we actually um when we listen we aren't just ready to come back with something with our, you know, we weren't listening with our, we're going to start mixing all these meta- metaphors now, but <laughs> you don't have your boxing gloves up when you're listening to someone ready to throw the next punch. You actually consider what they're saying and you actually are thoughtful and not quick to, I mean, cause we could say this all day long. Like this is the history that, but I think we all do this on some level. We all because of that tribal nature where we all want to belong, I think subconsciously we're always looking for our people. Who's like me? Who's my people even use that language? Like, oh, my people. Or shake um, that well, Yeah. And so that's just, that's just human. That's just normal. And so how do we be careful? And we talked about this in season one, not to other others. It's that whole kind of transcend and include, like how do we, yes, have our beliefs and then also still love people that maybe don't have the same beliefs as, as us and understand that within the big, huge umbrella of Christianity, there are so many ways that that looks. And I think it's somewhat arrogant that any of us think that we actually have it all nailed down and figured out. Well, and <laughs> you know? arrogant to like take slivers and strands from history that we're at odds with each other and then go back and now these are in because I say it's or to then turn and attack because it's really easy to feel justified when you've experienced that kind of slight in attacking someone else back or oh, like yeah. othering others back and so suddenly you become the very thing that you're railing against or speaking against mm. and so I mean that's the whole Jesus movement is he Scripture says he took it on himself and then he died with it. Yeah. And that is what his great forgiveness is, is how to end the cycling of evil in the world. Yeah. And violence is through self-giving love and death and resurrection. Yeah. And so I love that question that you asked, which is, what does it look like then for us to be human? What does it look like then for us to embody the way of Christ. What does it look like to be honestly in alignment with ourselves and what we know to be true and not waver from that out of fear 
of other people's opinions or of all of this, <laughs> the history of those, that energy that you're talking about. And I think too, with that many centuries of conditioning in this way to recognize how easy it is and how quickly we can mm. move into that path and find ourselves in the same situation. Yeah. It's really easy. It's like, just don't do anything and you're there. It's like the natural turn and push people away and get mad and, you know, find your own way of persecuting or demonizing or making people evil. Yeah. And I also just love the empowerment and the reminder that Jesus says, like, I've given you the keys to the kingdom and that you have the authority. You can actually trust the spirit within you that's guiding you. And I think sometimes some of this whole energy around this idea of like, well, what if I say the wrong thing? Or what if I think the wrong thing? Or what if I question in a way that, am I going to be bad? Am I going to be pushed to the outside? No, you can trust the spirit within you. And you have a brain that you've been given. You can weigh these things yourself. You can look at the scriptures yourself. You can be in conversation with other people like, and, and not be afraid, you know? And that, that gives me just kind of, what it gives me is an excitement for the future hmm. to think about people fully empowered and owning the authority that God's given them and stepping into that and asking good questions like, what does this mean for the way that we live and treat others around us? I like that. It shifts the energy in me also mm. of that like, oh, yeah. Uh, feeling to um almost like i'm in on the joke like it's like there's like an inside joke that we're all choosing and we're all heretics <laughs> and we're just being honest about it yeah and like yeah there's like a yes a beauty to that that <laughs> it's hilarious like it really it, is it just takes all that energy away and it's yeah. like well, we're all choosing we're and we're all interpreting the scriptures we're all choosing a certain way to interpret. We're all in. Yes, that is so helpful. It just shifts the energy. It does. Well, we're all doing this. Yep. And we're all going to be wrong probably. And we're all figuring it out day at a time. But you know what isn't wrong is like loving each other and caring for each yeah. other and creating a more loving world. Yep. All right. That was a high five. We're going to end right there. Yep. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to check out our website, philandjenwood.com resources and events and if you enjoyed this feel free to subscribe you can even leave a review keep going see you next time